We are told as Californians we are going to be completely renewable. They only provide maybe 30% of what we need. And every day, starting at about 4 o'clock, it begins to decline. It's just really reckless and very expensive. And your electricity bill is passing through those costs straight to you. What is the plan that is going to replace all of this? You'll use less electricity by force at a different time of day when there's more solar energy. This is going to create an inconvenience for the people that have no time. If you're working class, if you're a landscaper, Uber driver. It's very, very unfair. We have 13 point something million people on Medi-Cal. It's not prosperous for everybody. And that high cost of living that doesn't bother the coastal elites because they can pay the electric bill very easily. My guest today is Susan Shelley. She's a columnist with Southern California News Group. Today she's going to discuss why electricity rates in California are skyrocketing and if there is a way for Californians to turn things around. We are in California bearing this tremendous burden financially to model good climate behavior and it doesn't do anything. I'm Siamai Karami. Welcome to California Insider. Susan, it's great to have you back on. Welcome back. Thank you, Siamak. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. Very excited to have you. Now, we want to talk to you about California and electricity. And one of the big topics in California has been green electricity. Most people might be surprised by the fact that we really don't have that much solar power or wind power as, as we plan to. And you have been actually analyzing this. I've been seeing your Twitter posts. Usually when it comes to electricity, there's not a lot of discussion about it, but it's something that is very important for all of us if we don't have power. It, if, if the power goes out, everybody notices right away. You can't miss it. So it's a big issue. And the California politicians have been passing laws mandating more and more renewable energy and celebrating that we're hitting our targets and then tightening it up again and setting tougher targets. And they've been doing this over and over. But if you look at what we really use to generate electricity in California, it's mostly natural gas. It's mostly fossil fuels. And sometimes it's imported electricity from other states. And the reason for this is for all the talk about renewables, they only provide maybe 30% of what we need. And at night, far less, because it's mostly solar, a little bit of wind, but mostly it's solar energy. And every day, starting at about 4 o'clock, it begins to decline. And by the time the sun goes down, it's at the solar energy's at zero. And people say, oh, well, batteries. Well, batteries. Maybe 3% of the energy we're using at night comes from batteries, and they run out by midnight. So what are we running the state of California on? When you plug your electric vehicle into your wall charger, it's charging on natural gas. Also nuclear, large hydroelectric, and imported electricity. That's what's running California. So it's a fantasy that we can go to 100% renewable. We can only go to 100% renewable if it's never summer and it's never night. And I don't think, I don't think we're on that planet. <laughs> So you're saying this, and it's a little bit shocking for a lot of people to hear. And, and also, we are planning on, on this, because aren't we shutting down some plants? Yes. And we're, we're planning to be there. But can you tell us what the state has been doing? With? Blithering idiocy is what they have been doing. They have been saying they are going to shut down 
all the gas-fired and nuclear plants in California. We have one nuclear plant left. I think we have three gas-fired plants in Southern California producing all of this electricity that we're using every day, 50%, 60% of what we need at night from natural gas. And they're talking about shutting them down. They were supposed to shut down. By the end of this year. By right? the end of this year. Well, if you're using them for 60% of your electricity in August, what are the odds that you can shut them down in December? Well, guess what? They are extending their life. The California Energy Commission and I think the uh, one of the water resources boards, they're, they're meeting on this plan to extend them for three more years. But they're still talking about, oh, it's only because we need it if it's an emergency. They're pretending we don't really need it. They're saying we can still get rid of fossil fuels. Well, we can't. And it's foolish to try because it's extremely expensive to keep going in this direction of solar and wind and trying to upgrade the grid to deal with this intermittent power problem. There isn't enough electricity in California if we don't use natural gas and nuclear. There just isn't. And they don't like hydroelectric either. There are a lot of environmentalists, they want to blow up the dams and restore everything to nature. There are four hydroelectric dams in Northern California that are being shut down. What are we doing? You know what, the smart, the smart money right now in California would be investing in candle manufacturing because this is a big market and everyone's gonna need them. This is crazy what we're doing. Hopefully we won't get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they keep, they keep doing this last minute extension. Here's the problem with the last minute extensions. You have to have long-term contracts in order to have stability. Stability of supply, stability of price. So if we're gonna buy this at the last minute, it's always gonna be more expensive. And by law in California, utilities have to sign 10-year contracts with solar and wind providers. That's by law, 10-year contracts. Well, they can't sign a 10-year contract with the gas-fired electricity generating companies. So there's no long-term contract there. So who's going to invest in either refurbishing or building a new gas-fired plant in California? Nobody, because you can't sign a long-term contract with those companies because they're going to be illegal at some point in the near future. This is just, it's maniacal, it's crazy. It's like a villain in a James Bond movie is running our electricity policies. So they expect these plants to operate when they need it mm -hmm. and kind of not give them a long-term plan. Right, so they don't have, they don't have long-term investment. They don't have long-term contracts but we know we need them. So it's this, it's this dance as, as the expiration date for their life approaches. Oh, there's this scramble. And guess what? The taxpayers have to bail out the companies. So I believe it's $1.2 billion for the companies that have the gas-fired plants. And for the nuclear plant, Diablo Canyon, which is Pacific Gas and Electric, $1.4 billion of taxpayer money. They're calling it a forgivable loan to keep the plant operating. It provides, I think, between 6 and 9% of the electricity we use in California statewide. This is the Diablo, right? Diablo. And they're talking about closing it. And then at the last moment, they ride in and they extend it briefly. Well, it's foolish. It's silly. It's costing you a lot of money on your electric bill. So where is where this electricity is supposed to come from? What is the plan that is going to replace all of this? You know, the plan is they're going to make everybody use less. I'm sorry to say that in 2017, there was a report from Berkeley Lab about something called demand response. 
and what they're doing, they're calling it shape, shift, shed, shimmy. What they're trying to do is force people to use electricity at a different time of day when there's more solar energy, which doesn't help you when you come home from work and you want to charge your car and run your all electric appliances. It doesn't help you if they say, oh, well, you can run them at noon, but you're not home at noon. That doesn't help you. So that's part of it. Part of it is they're going to shed the load. What that means is they're going to let you know that they're doing rolling blackouts and you'll use less electricity by force that way. So either with pricing or with blackouts, they are going to do what's called demand response. Maybe they'll do financial incentives where they'll pay people to turn off their electricity, but that doesn't seem like a very good idea because electricity is really not something that you use as an option. It's something you use you when, really you, need when it. you need it. You need lights, you need air conditioning, you need medical equipment to run, you need things, to, especially if they're mandating electric appliances and cars, which they are. So how does this work? They're mandating all electric trucks. Well, the infrastructure for electric trucks is not ready. The electric trucks aren't ready, but the infrastructure for the trucks isn't ready. But California thinks, well, we'll pass a law, we'll mandate it, and the market will ride to the rescue. They would do it, they just don't want to do it, so we'll mandate it. This is their thinking, and this is irrational. This is irrational. Electricity is not a new thing. We know how to generate it, we know what it costs, we know how to do it, and we have to let the people who know how to do it, do it, and get out of their way so that we have affordable and reliable, abundant electricity in California. How much do you think they want us to cut? What, what is that? Is there any thoughts? Well, I'll give you some numbers. If, on, if you check CAISO.com, uh, C-A-I-S-O.com, and you check today's outlook and supply in the summertime, you'll see that on a typical August day, we have demand of maybe up to 40,000 megawatts. And what are we getting from renewables? Maybe 18,000 at their peak, maybe. At their best. At, at their, their best. Peak, so yeah. a little less than 50% at their best in the summertime. Now, in the wintertime, we less... And that's during the day. At and night, that's during we might... At night, much more, right? Because renewables yeah. drop to maybe three or 4,000 megawatts at night. And so we're using 10%. more electricity. So we're using 38,000, 40,000 megawatts in the summer. During that huge Labor Day heat wave last year, we got up to, I think, 51,000 megawatts. But all we're getting from our renewables is that same maybe 18,000 megawatts at, at the peak at noon, 1 o'clock. And then, and then at night it will be three, four oh, thousand something. Yeah, it just sinks. So if we were to build wind farms and solar farms everywhere in California, if we were to take over all the farmland and cover the, was cover the whole thing with solar panels, we would need transmission lines running through the state of California. And that's not always safe. You have wildfire issues when you have transmission lines going long distances. And you lose electricity in the, in the distance. You know, it, it doesn't all come through. So it's just really reckless and very expensive, <laughs> very expensive. And your electricity bill is passing through those costs straight to you. So that's why it's going up and up. So that's another thing, the cost is going up and then they want us to, to do, we, you, you don't know how much less they want us to consume, right? They want us, is Well, if you were trying to have the state run on what we currently, currently can use with renewables, you'd have to cut by about 50% of your usage during the day and <laughs> about 80% of your usage at night. You couldn't turn anything on at night. If you were conserving So when you say we should invest in candles, you, you really mean that we should? <laughs> To be a market if they, for it. You know, truthfully, I don't think they'll ever absolutely all the way go through with this. But while they're pretending we're going to go through with it, you're paying for it. 
and that's the crisis. And if you are a business, if you're advising a business, if you're investing in a business, would you come to California with this going on? When you know that what's ahead is higher and higher energy costs and more and more harassment about energy? Energy is a great thing. Energy makes prosperity. Prosperity makes everything happen for people, jobs and houses and everything that people need. And what do we have instead? The highest cost of living driven by some of these climate policies, which are, by the way, the most important point about all of this is it doesn't affect the climate at all. What we do in California does not affect the global climate. Why not? Because it's too small. It's 1%. All of our global greenhouse gas emission percentage in California is 1. 1%. The whole state could shut down, and it would make no difference to the global climate. The whole state. Particularly if other countries are, are burning coal, which they are, more and more, because it's cheap and reliable and available. So they're burning coal for electricity because they don't want to be in poverty. They want electricity. Doesn't everybody? So that's what's happening. We are, in California, bearing this tremendous burden financially to model good climate behavior. And it doesn't do anything. It has no effect on the climate. And other people may not follow it anyways. If they don't follow it, then for sure it has no effect. But even if you accept all the premises of the climate change alarmism, which I don't, but even if you do, and you say this is catastrophic and we have to do something, what we are doing in California does nothing except cost you money. You might as well stand on the roof of your house and throw cash at the sky. Why do you think we're doing it? Politics. Politics. I, th I think there, there are a lot of voters who have been persuaded that this is a moral issue and it's a value kind of issue for people, but they're misinformed. And I really wish that they would go to caiso.com, C-A-I-S-O.com, and see what the real numbers are and see what the real prices are and see what the real difference is in these policies. Because when you look at your electric bill, it's just unreasonably high in California. And the only thing that saves us at all is that a mild climate means we use a little less than other states do. But when it's summer, we're using air conditioning and then we're not using less. So it's very expensive. Are you concerned with stock market volatility? Markets closing in on their worst year since the financial crisis. Two of the major indices had their worst day since 2020. U.S. financial markets had their worst day since the start of the pandemic. Do you really trust this economy? are growing that the U.S. economy could be headed for a recession. Inflation soaring to its highest level in nearly 40 years. Prices for gas and groceries are so high. Inflation sending already sky-high prices soaring even higher across the board. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a higher fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? You can turn your monthly income on or off compound it, whatever you choose, and there is no loss of principle if you need your money back. And absolutely, there are no fees. Just log on to investverify.com. Folks, I personally invest my own money with Verify. Log on to investverify.com or call 888-VERIFY24. Now let's go back to the interview. When I talk to family members and, you know, they, they look at, see, okay, you know, solar, wind, they're clean. They don't create like the smoke, you know, and we look at gas and 
diesel and these type of things and natural gas, you, you always think about the smoke that's coming out, the pollution that's creating. Do you think we, we are told a story that's not true because it's not really possible to use wind and solar to achieve what we try to achieve? Yes, I think that's exactly right. And also wind and solar are not perfect environmentally. You have the mineral mining and you have the, the waste disposal issues and it's, it's not a perfect environmental solution. As far as the criteria pollutants, we do have to clean up the air. We have cleaned up the air. Natural gas is pretty clean. It's a balancing act. You know, you have to look at the costs and benefits of each of these things and find the right balance. But we'll never find the right balance if we're going to pretend that we can run the whole state on sunshine and breezes, because we can't. So we are told as Californians that this is going to work, right? And, and we are going to be completely renewable at some point because we have passed the laws. But in reality, behind the scenes, there's no real plan based on what you're saying. There is no real plan. It's just, it's <laughs> we're living month to month on this. And then we have to pay more to renew these agreements and right. pay more and pay more. Right, and there are people making a lot of money on these solar agreements and these various net zero, buy the climate credit kind of scams where you buy something in another country and that offsets your emissions. It's, it's riddled with fraud and it's, as I said, not doing anything for the climate. So we really should be realistic in what we're what we're doing that's hurting us in California, hurting our economy, hurting job creation, hurting us in the cost of living. We have the highest poverty rate in the nation, in California, the highest poverty rate in the nation when the cost of living is taken into account. And that is appalling. How much of the cost of living, how much utility costs have impact on cost of living? Well, it's in the cost of everything you buy. It's in the cost of food that is trucked to the grocery store. It's in the cost of anything that's manufactured in the state because electricity is used in manufacturing. And it's also natural gas and heating. There are other, other things that have been added. Uh, the cap and trade program, which is intended to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, is a tax on energy. So that, that's in the price of gasoline. Some of, some of what you're paying in the price of gasoline is going into this greenhouse gas reduction fund and guess what they're doing with that? They're using 25% of it to build the bullet train. Really? The bullet train? And this, this is a lot of California politics. It's a lot of lies. It's a lot of PR, public relations. And, and you're paying for all of it. Do you think it's going to backfire? At, one, at some point, Californians will kind of realize this, is, this was all a game, in a sense. Is, is it a game, or is it? People will realize it if they see the real numbers, if they see the real information. That's why I've been posting these screenshots on Twitter of what the real information is during the day, at night, last September, now in August, when it's hot, when it's not hot. If people see the real numbers, we can have a rational discussion about energy policy. But otherwise, it's just a lot of blame shifting. You know, the, the governor ordered a big study after the August 2020 blackouts. Big study from the California Energy Commission to find someone to blame. And do you know what they concluded? They concluded that the problem was, quote, resource adequacy, which means not enough electricity. We didn't have enough electricity for the heat that we had in August of 2020, and we had rolling blackouts because we didn't procure enough electricity. So now we do, we procure it. We import it from other states 
and if we have emergencies, he authorizes diesel generators to run, which are not clean, as you said earlier, uh, but we can't have blackouts, so it's scramble, scramble, improvise. Do we not know that summers are hot in California? Do, is this news that summer comes? They act like it is. Oh, it's the hottest something in 120 million years. How do they know this? It's just not accurate. Uh, the, the climate goes in long cycles. And the fact that you remember last summer wasn't as hot is not climate change, it's just weather. So people are just misinformed. And it's quite deliberate. There are nonprofit organizations and foundations that are funding this kind of journalism with grants for people to go out and spread climate alarmism. And it's just not necessary. Are you concerned that we're going to have some serious blackouts based we on might. what you see? We might. If we have unexpectedly hot weather and we haven't procured enough electricity, we could see rolling blackouts. That's what this demand response is all about, trying to set up a situation where people will go through this flex alert kind of thing, turn everything off at 4 o'clock. Don't run By anything. By force, you're not kind of like, we'll, we'll cut everything. Yeah, turn everything off so we have enough electricity. We're always on the edge. We run very close to the line. And it, it's, it's reckless, honestly. Susan, there's some thoughts about actually uh, recharging the cars, recharging the grid. I don't really fully understand it, but there's some state laws. Well, there is a proposal uh, from an executive from Pacific Gas and Electric, and it's also a legislative proposal in Sacramento to require that car batteries are able to charge the grid. So instead of you just charging your car, your car will charge the state of California. And I don't know whether you get any money for that, but that's the plan. And so it essentially just you drive the car. You drive the car and you, you charge your car battery. And in an emergency, I guess they'll send you a text and they'll say, plug your car into the grid and reverse the flow of electricity. So the state of California can suck all the electricity out of your car battery because we don't have enough. And then how are you going to recharge your car? Don't you have to get it back? Then you well, get it back I, I at a different guess you, time. I guess the next day when the sun is out and they can charge <laughs> electricity from the solar panels uh, and the renewables are producing some juice, I guess you can charge your car the next day. If you need to go anywhere that night, I'm sorry. I hope that you have another car that has an internal combustion engine or you're going to be stuck because your electric car will be charging the grid. I think this is a crazy proposal. It's another admission that the whole thing isn't working, that they're, they're planning for this emergency. It's not an emergency if you know it's going to happen. If you know you don't have enough electricity and you're planning for that, it's not an emergency. It's just bad planning. So it's essentially we are, we are running a lot of these policies based on hoping things will work. Hoping without things will really work, Without really a yes. clear. Without ever admitting they were wrong. You know, one of the things that they could do that would cost nothing is to change the targets. They don't even have to change the law, but they could change the targets. So instead of talking about going to 60% renewable energy by 2035, you could make it 2065. And then we wouldn't have all this pressure. And you could say, you can sign long-term contracts for gas-fired plants. You can build a gas-fired plant. We're going to allow them to run till 2065 or 2075 or 2100, and you can have long-term contracts, and then you can amortize the cost 
of constructing new facilities, and it would be a workable thing. But instead, there's this fantasy that we're going to get off fossil fuels so they won't build any of it. And we're going to scramble and we're going to tell people to take their electric cars and plug them into the grid for emergencies. I think people need to think about this and see what that really means. Because it creates a huge inconvenience if you just all of a sudden have to run, everybody has to run to just it's, to, it's to also charge the grid. Like it's something we don't think about. It works. like Right. Exactly. In California, you have to think about electricity. And in other states, you don't, because they're just procuring enough of it, and they're not so precious about how they do it. But we are. We're going to run the state on sunshine and breezes like a Rembrandt painting. And we're not. We're not going to run the state on sunshine and breezes. We're going to need fossil fuels. And the thing is, one of the other things that comes to mind is that it seems like there is a huge disconnect between the policymakers and the actual people. because. This is going to create an inconvenience for the people that have no time. Mm -hmm. If you're working class, if you're a landscaper, driver, Uber driver, you know, the, the average people that you, every hour you, you make a certain amount of money and you don't really have time to think about should I electricity or not because yeah. you have to earn the income and you have to feed your kids and family. It, there seems to be a huge disconnect. At the same time, the leaders that are making these policies, they do care about they, they talk about the working class, and uh, they want to help the working class. There seems to be a huge disconnect here. It's just hypocrisy. It's just political hypocrisy. It's seeking votes from different groups, seeking votes from the working class, and seeking votes from the environmentalists who tend to be coastal and more wealthy. Uh, it, it's, just, it, it's just politics. It's not energy policy. And we need an energy policy in California because this is an important state. It's a large economy. It needs to be producing more jobs for people. One of the reasons the state is not affordable is because the jobs don't pay enough. And you can stand in front of a chart that shows, oh, the gross domestic product of the state is great, everything's fine. We're the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world. That is not relevant to individual people looking for work. People getting out of school and looking for a job in California can't make enough money to buy a house. They can't make enough money to pay the rent. They can't make enough money to pay the light bill. Why are the salaries so low? Well, one reason is because so many companies are leaving the state with their high paying jobs. So the fact that you can show that there's venture capital and you can call that part of the gross domestic product and you can show that Silicon Valley is doing really well and maybe the entertainment industry for certain periods of time is doing really well and maybe you can show gross domestic product numbers that make it sound like California is very prosperous, but we have 13 point something million people on Medi-Cal, which is the low income safety net health insurance program in the state. 13 million people qualify for the low income That's health insurance program. That's a third of the state. It's a third of the state on Medi-Cal. Wow. So it's not prosperous for everybody. And that high cost of living that doesn't bother the coastal elites because they can pay the electric bill very easily, it's very burdensome for people who are struggling to pay the bills every month. And, and these are policy choices that California's government is making. And it's very, very unfair to people at the median and, and below. People can, make, people can make a very decent living that would provide a very nice lifestyle in another state, and it's not enough in California to live well and to pay your bills and to buy food at the grocery store. Basic things. It's not enough. Why is it not enough? Because we are losing jobs. 
to other states. And manufacturing jobs and mineral extraction types of jobs where they're banning oil drilling and they're banning gas production, those are, those are high paying union jobs and they're going away because of policy choices. And, and what's left? Service jobs that don't pay very much. So what's the government's solution? Well, all over the state, resolutions to, to have mandatory minimum wage increases. So that's a big burden on the small businesses that are franchise owners to pay higher and higher wages. They want to raise the, the wages for hotel workers. They want different kinds of minimum wage ordinances to push up wages in different sectors and in different industries. But raising the minimum wage doesn't create the revenue to pay the minimum wage. So what does it do? It drives businesses more businesses, to out, more businesses out or to reduce staffing, to reduce hours. And then people are on strike. Well, we don't, we're not getting enough money and we're not getting enough hours. Well, why do you think that is? Because the economy of California is failing the people who live here. A successful economy, let's just define it. A successful economy is one in which you can find a job out of college, maybe four years, maybe four years out of high school. You go to college, you get an undergraduate degree, you can find a job that pays you maybe four times the cost of housing, three to four times the cost of housing. Your salary should pay three to four times the cost of housing. And it's paying maybe twice the cost of housing right now. Barely, Barely. depending so on, yeah. So 50% of your, of your salary is gonna go for housing costs. Well, that's not a successful economy. In a successful economy, you can make more money than it costs for housing. You can make three to four times the cost of your mortgage payment or your rent payment. That would be a successful economy. And to get those jobs, a typical person should be able to put in just four years of either training or college after high school. That would be a successful economy for people in California, where your kids could graduate from high school, go to college, get out with their undergraduate degree, find a job, maybe not their dream job, but something that will pay them three to four times the cost of housing so they can be self-sufficient. That would be a successful economy. The homeless problem is getting worse, it's not getting better. Crime is getting worse, it's not getting better. Regulations are getting worse, it's not getting better. People are bailing on California in record numbers. Showing more than half of Californians are considering moving. It might be harder to find a U-Haul than to find your next home. The exodus of people moving out of California is not new. No sane person would want to leave California if they could make it here. For the first time ever, people are leaving. In 2020, California lost 650,000 people. First time in my lifetime I've heard that. I'm leaving California. Why you should consider moving to have We're gonna miss you guys. Several high-profile companies like Tesla have moved their headquarters. I'm out of here. This place is gonna sink. Watch, they already have high taxes. This is just the tip of the iceberg. California treats businesses like criminals and taxpayers like organ donors, and people get tired of it. Here's some of our costs. Drivers are paying at $7.39 a gallon. $3 million. This is like a normal house. Our problems are man-made. All you have to do is pay attention. Here is what I found. I can't be the only person who's seeing this. The California legislature can't go on forever like this. This is a form of self-destruction. When I came here 22 years ago, it was a different California. Where is the state headed? California will deteriorate. Where'd the money go? 
This is because of stupid policies. There's no other word for it. The politicians are making money off our problems. People were tricked. They're being lied to, and their way of life is being destroyed. There's a lot of people that you would be surprised by their stories. My entire family is leaving. You know, we left all of our friends behind. Hey, live a day or two in our shoes. We're going to lose the very core values that built this state. California's bad ideas go national really fast. And if California fails, the United States failed. Was there a point, Susan, you figured this out, that something is wrong in the picture? You've been covering California for many years, right? I have been covering California for a while, and, and yes, I always thought that it was very foolish, going back to at least 2006 when AB 32 was, was signed into law by Governor Schwarzenegger. It, every business organization said, this is crazy, this is going to raise the cost of energy, this is going to raise the cost of everything because it was into this greenhouse gas reduction at any cost kind of policy. It set that all in motion. And then they turned everything over to the California Air Resources Board, where unelected bureaucrats make these arcane rules that cause all these extra expenses and difficulties for business. And that was 2006, and we've been doing this now for close to going on 20 years, and we are, we are paying the price for it. Without, without a doubt, all of the naysayers about that were correct. Really negative consequences. You know, it also affects housing, the climate policies, because under California law, driving a long distance is considered an impact on the climate. So an outlying community can't be built for new housing. So it's all this infill. It's all this squeeze people together and create density in single-family neighborhoods that get people all upset. Uh, they're pushing for that because if you try to get approval to develop housing in an outlying area, like a new suburb, oh my goodness, that's sprawl, that's bad for the climate. Well, the price of housing in California and the shortage of new housing in California is very, it's a very severe problem. Should we balance that against what this policy is doing for the climate, which is, by the way, nothing? It's doing nothing for the climate if you don't build housing in California but we're not building housing in California because climate. We have to have this conversation because people think they're saving the world and all they're doing is damaging their own lives. And they don't understand that. They don't have all the information. And maybe other people's lives because okay. it impacts all the people that don't really have a voice, the yeah. working class, the people that are working hard every day. Exactly. They just have to pay the bills and they don't really have time to, to even think about news and politics. And exactly. And you go to buy a house and the prices are crazy and you, you look for new construction and there isn't any. And why is that? Well, a lot of it has to do with climate policies. And that is just devastating people in California. And what's the result? People are leaving the state. You know, there was a time when everybody in liberal politics and in the, in the media said, oh, well, that's a myth. They're not really leaving the state. And then we lost a congressional seat. For the first time in the history of California, our congressional delegation shrank because the population was declining, not just relative to other states, but absolutely. And I understand that uh, there's a projection from PPIC, the Public Policy Institute of California, that says if things continue this way, in the next census we could lose five seats. 
Wow. So people are voting with their feet and their U-Hauls, and you can see brake lights every direction as people leave this state. And there's IRS data on this. And we actually did a documentary That's on right. Living California, on which Living people Cal should That's right. check out. And you were part of the and documentary. I was very honored to be part of it. Yes, people are leaving California. This is real. And, and it's, you know, it can break your heart because there's so much in this state that's magnificent. And it's being held back by dumb policies, stupid policies, blithering idiocy in Sacramento, just creating problems for people. So how does all this make you feel, Susan? You've been covering this for many years. You've kind of seen what the state is doing. And it looks like we are headed, we are not changing course, or we're not even acknowledging that what we're doing might not be working. How does that feel in being in your shoes? Well, I actually see some progress. I see people who are opening their eyes to what's going on. I think the COVID pandemic and some of the policies that pushed people out of their pattern woke a lot of people up, that the government is causing some of the problems we're experiencing. So I'm always optimistic. I never give up on California. You can't give up on California. It's, it's a singular place and you can't give up on California, and I never will. So it just has to be fixed. Why not? Why don't you give up on California? Why don't I give up on California? California is the place that people came because they were not afraid. The population of California is made up of people who were not afraid. They were somewhere else, or their ancestors were somewhere else, and they saw something better than where they were. And the people who were not afraid did it. They came to California. And that's the DNA of this state. People who are not afraid, who know there's something better and reach for it. And because of that, this state has a vitality. This state has an energy. It has a personality. It has a DNA of improvement, change, prosperity, freedom, that's deep inside of all of us. And I will never give up on this state because I know it's there. And no matter how much the politicians talk people out of it and betray their trust, no matter how much they lie and how many idiotic policies they pass for whatever reason, I know that the people of California can overcome it. And I will never give up on California. Hi, I'm Siamai Korami, General Manager of Epoch Times in Southern California and host of California Insider. Thank you so much for your amazing support. It's been an honor to have you with us along this journey. And we've grown such a great community of subscribers like yourselves that have been with us, committing to truth and tradition, which is what we want to discuss this year at our gala. So please join us on October 28th in Newport Beach for an exceptional night with food, drinks, and great conversations. Our guest speaker will be Victor Davis Hansen, as well as some of our media personalities like Yanya Kellick of American Thought Leaders and Roman from Facts Matter. You can get your tickets now on epochgala.com. And once again, thank you for your support. And I'll look forward to seeing you on October 28th. You're mentioning that in our DNA, mm -hmm. you know, to be, for California, these are the people that come here, they're, they're not afraid, 
they are movers and shakers from what you're saying, which I've seen it in this culture. Very hardworking at the same time doing a lot. When was the time that we lost this or it kind of like started fading away or where is it lost and where is it alive? I don't think it's lost. I don't think it's lost. I would, I would guess that it's in the underground economy where people are doing really energetic <laughs> things on eBay and other places for cash and they're not, and they're not involved in, um, in the main part of the reportable economy. I would guess, I don't know that that's true, but I don't think we've lost our entrepreneurial spirit, our energy, our fearlessness. I don't think we've lost that in California. But I have to say I was rather disappointed during the pandemic when people were so willing to give up their freedom. They were very badly frightened, very intentionally, and they were so willing to give up their freedom. But I know that that will come back, that people will, people will want to be free in California. That is very much part of the DNA of the state. Do you think we don't have that DNA in the government, or do you think we have uh, something is wrong with the relationship we have with the government in California? Or? Well, the government in California is very tilted in one direction. It's much more progressive than the electorate. It's much more liberal, far left in its policy ideas than the voters are. And you can see that sometimes in ballot measure votes. You can see that people protect Prop 13. They don't vote for tax increases. They rejected a major statewide education bond because it was going to raise property taxes. You can see that people are not voting the far left liberal agenda when it's on the ballot. But they, the, the legislature is voting for that. And that is a function, I think, of machine politics. We used to see this in East Coast cities. Uh, there's, a, there's a particular type of political machine that becomes entrenched and it's vindictive against its enemies and it's rewarding its friends and it becomes self-reinforcing. Self they, they do end, political machines do end historically. They typically end in handcuffs. Um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any advice for our audience uh, based on what you've seen? So you're saying we're movers and shakers, we innovating people. And, and do you have any advice for Californians? Absolutely. My advice for Californians is to vote, to make sure everyone you know votes, to make sure people are well informed about the ballot measures, which are very important. If you want to run for office, you should run for office. You should get involved. You should get out and talk to people and find out how many other people think the way you think. You should put a yard sign on your lawn so your neighbors know where you stand. And they'll come over and they'll say, don't tell anyone, but I do too. And the next thing you know, it begins to change. So get involved. Do not be discouraged. Never stay home on Election Day. Vote early if you can. And if you can't, vote on Election Day. But always be involved. Because if you're not, then the other side will defeat you, and we can't have that. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. The Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association is the, it's the organization that created and, and protects Proposition 13, which is the most important taxpayer protection ever passed in America, in history. Proposition 13 keeps property taxes from skyrocketing along with the value of property. So it protects you from being taxed out of your home. It's extremely important. And there are always these attacks on it from the courts, from the legislature trying to chip at it. Very important to protect Prop 13 because that 
is making it possible for Californians to continue to be Californians. So join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association at hjta.org. Susan Shelley, columnist with uh, Southern California News Group. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you, CMAC. It's always a pleasure. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We'd love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.